the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. Happy Thursday. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710-KNUS. Great to have you along with us. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. If you want to join into the festivities in just a bit, we will open up the phone lines. You can also text into the show on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town. If you wish to text in, lots to discuss today in the hour, including this news that came out today. And you know what? It was a bit of a surprise, at least in terms of the timing, but not necessarily a massive surprise. And long conversation with my family. I believe in my heart of hearts, that I have accomplished what I set out to do for West Virginia. I've made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. That was an announcement. Brought to YouTube today in a video by U.S. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia saying he's not running for re-election at the end of his term, which I believe ends next year or after next year. He also wrote a piece about this in the Wall Street Journal, why I won't be seeking re-election to the Senate. That's some big national political news that we will dive into. But locally, speaking of announcements, oh my goodness. Lo and behold, Governor Jared Polis has called a special session to address property taxes after the complete shellacking that his Proposition HH took at the ballot box this past Tuesday. It comes as no surprise to my guest today, who is the leader of the Republicans in the state Senate and for months had been calling for Governor Polis to bring about a special session, as well as other Republican leaders in the legislature. State Senator Paul Lundeen joins me now. Senator, welcome back to KNUS. How are you? Jim, it's great to be with you and your especially insightful and intelligent audience. Well, I know we have the best in radio and appreciate you saying that because it's true. I want to ask you, Senator, were you shocked, shocked at this news that (laughs) Polis had no choice but to do what we knew he would call a special session? Uh, No, there's clearly no shock. Um, In fact, I don't think they were shocked. They could see it coming. Um, What has happened here is a bad Democrat idea that was born because of the extreme power Democrats have in Colorado now with the trifecta, the governor, the House, the Senate is all under their control. They thought that they could grow government 
and sell it as tax relief. Well, the people of Colorado are way too smart for that. They're, they, the, the extreme Democrat idea to grow government and label it as tax relief met the will of the people of Colorado. And in a 60-40, more than 60-40, but in politics, 60-40 is a huge ratio. The people of Colorado said, no, we want honest tax relief. And that's what, of course, the Republican caucus has been calling for all along. Well, this morning, uh, the governor pivoted slightly and he said, hmm, what phraseology could I use? And he's now saying, let's put people above politics. Yes, I saw that. Well, but the problem is when you say people above politics, but you do government above people, and that's what HH was, and that's what the solutions that are now going to be offered will, by the Democrats will be, it's putting government above people. Now, let me, your audience, since they are smarter than the average bears, they need to know every time they hear a Democrat saying we need to backfill, backfill is code for grow government. Backfill means grow government. So they're going to say, well, how much money do we need to backfill? Well, the local jurisdictions, which are the jurisdictions that live on property tax, they have significant increases in revenue because of this increase in valuations of homes and increase in valuations of commercial property, and therefore the, the revenue is running in. Well, those local jurisdictions, they have the ability to dial that down by reducing mills. At the state level, we have the ability to dial it down by reducing the assessment rate. And that's what we need to do in this special session. Um, I think what, quite frankly, the excessively powerful Democrats are going to do is they're going to come in and say, you know, that Tabor refund that we wanted to systematically destroy over the next 10 years, we just want to use up a bit of it to offer a little bit of property tax relief for a period of a year. That's not enough. We need longer term, more systemic and permanent tax relief. But I think that's what's going to happen. So I'll pause there, mm. take a breath and, and let you guide the conversation where so you want to go. But your listeners need to remember, mm. backfill is code for grow government. That last piece there about dipping just a little bit into Tabor refunds, would that have to go to a vote of the people? Or is that something that the legislature could actually do unilaterally if it only takes a certain level or something? They they can do it. And that's you remember the great Colorado cash back that uh, Governor Polis claimed credit for when he was running for reelection. That was a rejiggering of how the refunds are given. That was done through statute. The reality is they could theoretically in the special session do that through statute. It ah. becomes a question of where does you know, where does the money go? Well, here's a way to give provide relief, tax relief. It's through the um, uh, the property tax relief. So, yes, they could do it at the at the legislative level. It would not have to go back to the people because it's not systematic mm. over the years. That's why HH had to go to the people. So it, would this then kind of screw over renters? Well, I think anytime you reduce property taxes, it's going to benefit renters as sure. well as property owners. That just but they wouldn't get a the renters wouldn't get necessarily much of a refund then directly to them in that case. Um, well, exactly. It's, it's right. certainly possible because money that would have been going out to renters as part of their Tabor refund now would be going as, as property tax relief. So, yes, yeah. it, it could, in fact, um, disadvantage renters significantly. Well, and, th and then to be clear, I highly doubt that you're going to see many apartment complexes reducing their rent from current levels. They may not increase them quite as much, but they won't reduce them from current levels. But regardless... 
that's rejiggering around these uh, met th- these methods of how you send money back to the taxpayers. That's how Democrats may want to do this. What have Republicans proposed? Because you guys were ahead of the curve on this. You knew what was needed and recognized there's a big chance, God willing, at the time that Prop HH would fail. You wanted it to fail, of course, because it would have been a disaster in the long run. But when we look at Prop HH's failure and the replacement that Republicans or the alternative that Republicans had already proposed, what would that entail? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing we want to do is we want to double the senior homestead exempt exemption. So it would go from um, $100,000 taxable value to $200,000 of taxable value comes off the actual payments made by our seniors, our disabled veterans, and our Gold Star families. That's the first thing we want to do. Um, And we've offered that as standalone legislation. Democrats have batted it down previously. We want to do that. The second and the biggest thing we want to do is we want to lower the assessment rate. The, the, The tax that would have been, the assessment rate is a fancy word for the, the ratio of what's taxable. If Gallagher had stayed in place, it was repealed at the ballot box three years ago. If it had stayed in place, we would be at 4.9% right now. Instead, we're at 6.675%. We would say, let's take it from 6.675% down to 6.5% on the way toward 4.9% over time. We need to get those residential property tax rates back down because people are going to be taxed out of their homes based on the trajectory we're on right now. And then the last thing that we had offered up and we would like to do um, is to just lower the income tax rate in Colorado from 4.4% to 4%, just give the people of Colorado property tax relief and income tax relief because the people of Colorado are struggling right now just to make ends meet. Meanwhile, government's growing faster than the actual economy in Colorado. We've got to turn that around. Again, our guest, State Senator Paul Lundin, the leader of the Republicans in the State Senate, I want to go back to this thing of people over politics in his uh, statement today and also writing in his letter. He said this, I'm calling this session to urge the legislature to bridge partisan divides and put people over politics to provide immediate property tax relief to Coloradans facing extreme spikes from their 2023 property bills. Before you said Putting talked about the Democrats putting government over people. I want to just flip for a moment politics over people in this way, because you're right about government over people, but they're also playing politics over people. They were doing that with Prop HH because the only way that they could even sell this to voters was to play political games to try to pull the wool over their eyes by setting up the equal Tabor refund for everybody across the board by claiming it was a property tax reduction in essence and putting out these other ideas that were just not true so that they could pass something with the people's vote that was effectively a tax increase in the long term. That is playing politics over helping people, Senator Lundin. Yeah, absolutely. And the risk is that we're going to see the same thing in the bills that are offered in the special session. And we need to watch this carefully. Um, anything that smells like it's going to grow government instead of refund taxes to people needs to be rejected. Um, anything that looks like it is going to give the excessively powerful Democrats 
more authority over what happens with the Tabor refund or something of that nature, we need to challenge because it's, again, putting government over people. We've got to flip this calculus back around. And that is actually what happened on Tuesday when the voters said, hold up, stop right there, bucko. We don't want a bigger government and a hint of tax relief. We want meaningful, real, permanent tax relief. And our argument as Republicans is yes, property tax relief and income tax relief. Just a few minutes left with you, Senator Paul Lundin. Appreciate your time this Thursday afternoon. I want to read an excerpt, the last paragraph. In a Wall Street Journal editorial, because the journal has been paying close attention to Prop HH and the attack on Tabor, it was entitled, Coloradans Turned Down a Tax Grab, and they sort of put it in a national context. Quote, Tuesday's result comes in a state where Democrats have gained ground on nearly every other issue. A majority of Colorado voters seem to recognize that once Tabor goes... So does any structural political resistance to public unions and their pressure to tax and spend. See California, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, et al. Voters will have to stay vigilant because the forces for ever larger government never give up. And that could be the case, couldn't it, with this whole idea of let's backfill, as you say, grow government. What do you make of that and some of the national attention here? How pivotal is Tuesday's result, not just in resulting in a special session that, quite frankly, demonstrates that Polis has a lot of egg on his face for all of this, but it shows something big about Tabor and about how government should function in our state. Absolutely. It, it is nationally important because Colorado is one of the few states that has a limitation like the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. Um, Tuesday wasn't necessarily great for conservatives around the country, but it was great here in Colorado because it showed once again the people of Colorado on economic issues for certain are clearly more closely aligned with conservatism, Western values, and the Republican Party than they are the Democrat Party, which wants to do the growth of government more than anything else. Government over people is Mm -hmm. the Democrat mantra. People over politics, even though Polis is trying to claim it, is the Republican deliverable. Mm Final question for you. November 17th, next Friday, is when this thing kicks off. How long will it go? What are some of the mechanics of a special session? Yeah, absolutely. It um, <clears throat> the, the shortest it could be to actually deliver a completed piece of legislation um, to be signed by the governor is three days. You, you ha- Each chamber has a rule that does not allow a second reading passage and a third reading passage on the same day. So if you manage the calendar properly, you can move a bill through both chambers, getting the required first, second, and third reading in one chamber, then to the other chamber for the first, second, and third third reading in three days. So the minimum it can be is three days. Might be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, but it might take longer than that. And it's going to come down to the question of are the propositions being debated about growing government or are they about actually providing property tax relief? If they're about an honest relief of property tax for the people of Colorado, then it could be a fairly quick session. If it's about growing government, the Republicans will throw down. And there is only one party in the legislature that already has 
complete proposals revved up and ready to go. And that, of course, is the Republicans. This will be fascinating to watch for sure, although it is kind of nice seeing a little bit of egg on Governor Polis's face because he wasn't even prepared for this to happen. Oh, well, here we are. Senator Lundeen, really appreciate your time this afternoon and best of luck with getting this thing done. Hopefully it is legit property tax relief. That's what we need. Thanks, Jimmy, to you and your listeners. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you as well here. Once again, State Senator Paul Lundeen, the lead Republican in the state Senate. We're going to take a break. Your thoughts on this? Joe Manchin announcing he's not running for re-election. What does that say? about the state of affairs politically and where Democrats are at. Plus, last last night's debate, who won? Who lost? How did they perform? Who seems like they could best face Trump in the primary? And maybe Biden in a general. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. You're listening to Jimmy Sangenberger right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. 27 minutes after 3 o'clock. Good afternoon. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. My thanks to State Senator Paul Lundin for joining us in the last segment, talking about the special session being called by Governor Polis in the wake of Tuesday's resounding defeat of Prop HH, which would have undone Tabor, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. But the property tax hike continues. 40 to 50% increases for folks. So the legislature is being called to address it. Even after Polis consistently said, no, 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 no. I don't have another plan. I don't need to have another plan. We're going to get Prop HH passed. So not only... Did his chosen ballot initiative fail, one where he paired up with noted conservative economist Art Laffer for a debate on Nine News? And he pushed it big time. Not only did he get egg on his face for that failure, now he has egg on his face for calling a special session just as Republicans had been urging and he doggedly refused to do and denied he would ever do. Oh, here we are. Prop HH failed. The session begins. Let's go to some text on the 710KNUS app on the smartphone. Name in town, name in town. If you wish to text in, please. You can call us 303-696-1971 as well. I'm glad Lundeen brought up the growth of government. It bothers me that Polis added to the special session. This is something we did not talk about. It bothers me that Polis added to the special session an urgency to receive a USDA grant for summer lunches for kids. I roll. Kids who qualify have already been receiving free summer lunches. This grant is for 2024. Then I expect we'll have to backfill the loss of the grant in 2025 so kids don't grow go hungry. Yep, that's probably how it works. No, it makes no sense for him to add this to his special session. It's probably trying to throw some sort of bone to folks on the left at this time. Another text. Hi, Jimmy. Am I wrong about this in my thinking? The people of Colorado seem to care about their pocketbook, their money, and they didn't pass HH. Are they more concerned about their pocketbook or money 
than children and the kind of education and influence they're getting in schools since the union-backed candidates won except in Denver. I'm so proud of Denver, question mark. Listener Texan as well. Yeah, I do understand where you're getting at. I think with education, and this is something that we have to keep working at, is exposing the teachers' unions and how bad they are for K-12 education. Because a lot of voters who aren't very proactive, who don't pay as much attention, tend to look at teachers' unions as sort of a proxy for their votes. Oh, the teachers' unions are recognizing these candidates as the ones to vote for, so I'm going to vote for them. I saw data showing something on the order of at least 7 out of 10 contests have the union-backed candidate win in school board races generally. So I think that could play a piece of it. There could be ignorance in what's happening in schools, so they have that kind of a vote. But do note that in Douglas County, where you had the union sweep the three seats there, unfortunately, they did pass, going to your pocketbook point, a tax increase in Douglas County for 5A. The bond did not pass for schools, but 5A did pass for a t- property, slight property tax increase going in a mill levy override going to teacher pay and a few other things like hiring more school resource officers and armed security. But regardless, it is an important thing to note that we had some big achievements, but it was also a downer of a day for at least in the Denver metro area, a lot of the K through 12 election issues with the school board. So last night, You had a big debate. Five Republican candidates squared off. Notice the field keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller with each debate. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, Senator Tim Scott. They're all running. They were all on stage and they had it out just a little bit. Last night, and it certainly was striking watching that debate and the interplay. Things always get contentious when Vivek Ramaswamy gets in the mix. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of Americans are using it. Actually, the point. You have her supporters propping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer is actually to say that we're just going to ban uh, one uh, app. I, I should get that clip that little bit. You're just scum. You know what? I, I, I have to say I understand where she's coming from with Vivek Ramaswamy. The guy rubs me the wrong way. He's the kind of, and I could say this as a millennial, he's the kind of millennial that annoys the hell out of me. That's just like he does come across as a Mr. Know-it-all. And when I watch that and I think, oh, that's why I got that reaction, particularly when I was younger from a lot of folks. Oh, he's a know-it-all. I get it. I get it now. And he's five years older than me. Fascinating. Fascinating on display there. But I, I will say 
You don't bring up your opponent's kid like that, adult, child or not, to defend yourself being on TikTok. Like, seriously, that's absurd. What are your thoughts on the debate? Joe Manchin saying he's not running for re-election and this property taxes special session, 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Let's go to Mike in Aurora. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? Um, yeah, I'll give you some uh, thoughts and impressions I wrote down while listening to the debate here on KNUS. Yes, sir. Last night. Uh, in the opening remarks, Christie said Putin would roll over Ukraine. I'm tired of hearing that trope. Uh, he's not Adolf Hitler. He would have done it by now. We hear this uh, ad nauseum. Uh, the fact is Trump didn't have Mexico pay for the wall. Sick of that liberal comment. Uh, they paid for it in Berkeley. Um Ramaswamy, good. He hit Nikki Haley with uh, getting rich after serving on in the Trump's administration. Um, uh, like Ramaswamy's position in Ukraine, not uh, Haley's neocon standard speech. Want to hear Ramaswamy and his positions ferreted out uh, more? He seems undisciplined and young, too new and green. And finally, should Trump have been there? I say no. He was the winner indirectly. If he is there, if he goes to any of these, and he announced today he would not go attend any of these future debates, he would instantly be the lightning rod. Yeah, I certainly agree. He would be the lightning rod if he showed up in one of these debates. And uh, But I do wonder if there might be some kind of strategy of him to come out in, like, the last one where he makes a big push in the last one and just, like, pounces and and goes for it. I doubt it, but it might be an interesting strategy play for him, Mike. But I got to run. I appreciate the call. Interesting thoughts there, a list of things. What are your reactions to the presidential debate last night? Definitely some fireworks going on there. Let's go to Marty in Denver. How's it going, Marty? Hey, Jimmy, thanks for the time. I just want to push back a little bit. I understand the vet can be a little bit loud, a little bit in the face, a little bit there. But, you know, this Nikki Haley, she has been super aggressive in the pro-war. Let's get as many of these things going as many places in the world. I think it's a little offensive how aggressive she's been in this pro-war stance. But setting that stuff all aside, just speaking about numbers, Jimmy, it's going to take 80, 85, maybe 90 million votes in 2024 to win the presidency. Uh, on no planet does Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Vivek, the crowd put together, they don't sniff that total. So isn't it shameful that we're even carrying on this charade? No, no, I I disagree. Let me jump in for a moment, Marty, and then get your thoughts. Okay, I actually think there are two candidates on that stage who could pull it off in a general election, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. I believe that they both could. And say what you will about her policies that you're disagreeing with in terms of foreign policy. When she was on that debate stage last night, I thought she outclassed everybody else as far as her debating skills. It's showing up there. I think she's quite formidable and especially against Biden could be quite successful. I really think that there's a shot here, and I don't think that the Republicans should just throw up their hands and say, you know what, we're just going to give up and just go with Trump, especially given whether they're justified in some cases or not, given all the legal issues that Trump has. That is going to be a weight on his shoulders going into a general election, no matter what. Your thoughts, Marty? I don't, 
I don't think you have to worry about the, the jail, the conviction. Let's set it aside. We don't know. Let's just make believe that we've still got a clean slate. I'm just talking about this. Even though I think you paint, you paint a picture of her and Biden, and I think you paint, you are talking about the winner of the next election having to be the most popular president in the history of this country. That's what it's going to require. The stakes are too high. Wait, so wait, wait. Which, one, which president is the most popular president in American history? Well, Joe Biden, and that's because you can't challenge the 2020 election. I don't believe do you? Wait, 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 wait. Marty, Marty, Marty. No, 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 no. I would not agree with you at all that Joe Biden is the most popular president in U.S. history just because of the vote total that he got. But he's been in office well, no. for three years and folks have had a chance to look at him and look at him very negatively, especially of late. He is certainly a very vulnerable guy right now. He's got a 40, less than 40% approval rating in poll after poll. And you have David Axelrod. The, the former Obama campaign manager and other prominent Democrats just saying, Biden, you got to get out of this race or at least think about getting out of this race because you're vulnerable. Well, you have to apply the, the same standard as how did you get 81 million people convicted? In the, and I don't believe that's a fake number, of course, but how did they do it? Well, well it is no, a popular, you, you got to yeah, people to, to act, people didn't want to get... vote for Trump. That's what I, I disagree with oh, you. The stop. election was Biden's. He won it, unfortunately. Oh, I hate to say it. Jimmy. I hate to say it, Marty, oh, but it is true. Oh, it is absolutely <laughs> true. Brother, I appreciate the oh, call, though. Goodness. I appreciate okay, the call. We got to run here and keep things going on the program. Yeah, I mean, okay. That's a lot of votes, but guess what? Trump, you'd want to talk about lightning rod. Marty just said, oh, if Trump showed up in the debate, he would be a lightning rod. Yes, he would. He was a lightning rod in 2020 and brought a hell of a lot of people out against him. Unfortunately, I'm a two-time Trump voter. For those who aren't too familiar with me, perhaps, because you're not listening every Saturday morning from 6 to 9, and maybe you haven't caught me too much filling in over the years, in 2016, June, on this station, I was the first host who came out who had not already supported Trump. Matt Dunn of Backbone Radio was a Trumpster right from the start. But I was the first person to say in June, I've been a dogged Trump opponent, but guess what? We got to get behind him. This was a month before the Republican National Convention when the Republican delegation from Colorado pulled some shenanigans to try and get Trump kicked away. And I said, look, we got to get behind him and rallied behind him through 2016 and supported him again in 2020. Disappointed to see the loss in 2020. But he did lose. And it was particularly because people were galvanized not to support Biden but in personal disdain for Trump. Because guess what? In politics, this is the biggest thing with Trump because his policies, vast majority of his policies were tremendous. The guy deserves a Nobel Peace Prize for the Abraham Accords. Genuinely historic and unprecedented achievement. Quite remarkable. Just as one example of many achievements from the Trump administration. However, there are a lot of people who actually were deeply hung up on the mean tweets, on the personality, on the constant squabbles, on the constant complaints. 
and it didn't work in his favor. So they got de-energized for Trump and energized against him. And a lot of it was just sort of personal. And that's the reality of politics oftentimes. Everybody who's listening to this program probably is more adept in understanding and paying attention to elections and to politics and to news of the day. But that's not the average American. And they are going to consistently vote based on feelings. And sometimes if you have a visceral negative reaction to somebody, you vote against them. It was the opposite in 2016. People rallied behind Trump because they knew, oh, this guy seems to be tapping into something I've been concerned about. I've been feeling that nobody else has been saying. Nobody else has been feeling. That sort of got turned on its head in 2020, though. And we'll see what happens now because both Trump and Biden, outside of certain circles, are quite resoundingly unpopular. So we'll see how it unfolds. But let's go to the issue that was raised in the calls here. 303-696-1971. Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, anybody else? Is there anybody that you think could possibly beat Trump and possibly beat Biden or maybe another Democrat? 303-696-1971. That is our telephone number if you'd like to join into the festivities. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Keep it right here. Don't go anywhere. It's News Talk 710 KNUS. Jimmy Sangenberger back with you. Bringing the best bumper music known to man. News Talk 710 KNUS. Joe Bonamassa from his tune, or from his album, Blues Deluxe 2.0. Doing a classic blues tune, Well, I Done Got Over It. And listener text came in about both Biden and Trump. Both are just too old as well. And let's be real here. There are a hell of a lot of Americans, myself included, I'll be honest, who don't want a battle of the octogenarians. No disrespect to folks like my grandfather who are about 80 years old. I have a lot of friends who are older Republicans, but we're talking about the presidency here, and we're talking about engagement of voters. We are talking about a lot of personal interplays here for people as they look at what's happening. And there are folks who don't want to be worried about the health and well-being of a president who's about 80 years old. And I think a lot of Americans, especially when you get a bit younger, are just totally turned off by it, which could theoretically work in favor of Trump, except if you were to get the nomination, except that Trump also happens to galvanize young left-leaning voters like nobody's business. They can't stand him. I don't know. How this all plays out. What do you think? 303-696-1971. You can text on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. I do have to say, I, I do believe that Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley in particular have the potential to be the nominee. I don't know how likely that is against Trump, given the position of Trump in the primary. But certainly to win in a general election, particularly against Biden. However... 
Ron DeSantis, he's got a problem. And it's a personality problem. It's not the Trump personality problem that gets people enraged or excited, depending on where you are. It's more the the kind of lack of personality on display. So last night, the first question out of the gate to all five candidates was, why you and not Trump? And I want you to listen to DeSantis's answer and tell me if you agree if he sounds overly scripted and stiff here. This country is in trouble, and the elites that have put us here, they don't care about you. They don't care that you're having to grapple with higher grocery prices or have higher gas prices. They don't care that your family's less secure because of the open border that's allowed drugs and even terrorists to come into this country. Well, I care. I am not going to sit idly by and let this country continue its downward spiral. We need leadership, and we need it now. I'll take the hits. I'll take the arrows. I'll take the slings. Because ultimately, it's not about me. It's about you. I will fight for you. I will make sure to lead this country's revival, and I will win for you and your family. Actions speak louder than words. We don't have time for excuses, and it's not something that we're going to be able to have all these distractions. As a veteran, I will get the job done. Now, if you look where we are now, it's a lot different than where we were in 2016. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing. In Florida, I showed how it's done. One year ago here, we were want a historic victory, including a massive landslide right here in Miami-Dade County. That's how we have to do it. So I promise you this, as the nominee, next November I'll Thank get you, the Governor. job done, and as president I will your, deliver your time is up. Let me turn it. And I like a lot of what he said there, and I'm a DeSantis fan. I think what he does in Florida as governor is good on the whole. He's done quite a good job, and he was elect, re-elected in Florida by the same margin, 19 percentage points, that Jared Polis was re-elected in Colorado last year. That also shows you how democratic Colorado is, at least on paper, because look at Prop HH and its failure, compared to Florida, which is sizably Republican these days. Remember, he used to be such a massive swing state just 20 years ago. Not anymore in the case of Florida. I just, I really think he needs to work on his delivery. Because to me, that came across as I'm reading, in my mind, I memorized my script. And there wasn't really intonation too much or some passion there. And I don't know that he made a clear-cut case for why Republicans should select him over Trump. And what's fascinating is to see some of these dynamics play out among the Republicans on that debate stage. And then to look at a prominent Democrat who just today has announced that he is not running for re-election in the U.S. Senate. That would be Joe Manchin of West Virginia. After months of deliberation and long conversation with my family, I believe in my heart of hearts that I have accomplished what I set out to do for West Virginia. I have made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election 
to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. Mobilize the middle, he says. Does that suggest he might run an independent campaign for president? Is that what he's possibly setting up here? Joining RFK Jr. as being a an independent candidate? He wrote this in an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal today explaining why he won't be seeking re-election to the Senate. Quote, I've always been a responsible pro-life advocate, but polls and elections this, like this week's ballot initiative in Ohio show that most Americans want the balance found for the past 50 years in Roe versus Wade. So last year I pushed for a bill that would have codified the 1973 ruling into law. At the time, Democrats controlled the White House and both chambers of Congress. We should have had the votes to pass the bill. But the Senate Democratic leadership and the majority of the caucus refused to allow a vote on the floor because they wanted to expand abortion rights beyond Roe versus Wade. They put politics over the will of the people. And then he goes and complains about a bill to reform energy permitting and Republicans squelching that one. Now, this abortion issue is interesting for him to take this stand and say, look, I just wanted to codify Roe versus Wade, which Joe and Republicans on the debate stage last night and across the country. That's not the role of the federal government. We fought for 50 years to get rid of Roe versus Wade because we didn't believe that there was anything in the Constitution to do with abortion. The Fed shouldn't have anything to do with it. Don't do it in Congress. But Manchin was trying to codify and what he's saying here is the Democrats in Congress. And I was saying this all last year when they were proposing bills. They wanted to go well beyond Roe. To take it to the extreme. And that was too much for him on the abortion issue on the left. And it does show how radical they are. But at the same time, Republicans need to take Tuesday's results in Ohio in particular and Kentucky and say, you know what, we have to be more careful on this abortion issue. I think Nikki Haley was pretty well on point last night in that regard, I have to say. I think one point was the moderators shouldn't bring up Trump until he shows up. Is he in Biden's basement? (laughs) Listener text coming in as we wrap up. I'll be back in the saddle tomorrow from 3 to 4. Tune in then for more Jimmy Sangenberger. In the meantime, have a great afternoon and may God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.